But Moses said, If I come to them and I say, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What does God look like? What does God look like? I think it's a very important question, perhaps a question some of us ask ourselves, some of us don't. What does God look like? Fleming Rutledge, preacher extraordinaire, used to lead confirmation classes at her church every single year. And when she would gather all the tweenagers together, she would lead and open with that question on their first session. What does God look like? She would hand out pieces of paper and crayons and pens and pencils, and she would ask all the confirmands, draw me a picture of God. So the kids would go off into the corners, and they'd take the crayons and the pens and the pencils, and they, they'd draw a picture of the Lord. Afterwards, they were each required to stand up and explain why they drew what they drew. Every year, there were a couple of kids who drew a rainbow, clouds. Someone would draw something that looks like an angel with wings. More often than not, they drew a white dude who was old with a beard. And then after seeing all the pictures, she would ask the confirmants to come forward and rip the drawings in half and throw them in the trash can. Why would she do that? Why would she ask them to rip up their drawings and throw them away? Have you forgotten the second commandment? You shall not make an idol of things in the heavens above or in the earth around you or the, the waters below. Basically, you shall not make an image of the Lord. So then Fleming Rutledge would ask all of her confirmants, if we can't draw a picture of God, if we don't know what God looks like, how can we know anything about God? It's a worthy question. How can we know anything about God? So then she'd grab her Bible and she'd go to Exodus 3, which Larry just read for us, verses 1 through 15, the call of Moses. I am who I am. And Fleming would say to all of her confirmants, we can know who God is because God tells us who God is. We can know who God is because God tells us who God is. In the old prayer book, the prayer book that John Wesley used, there's a prayer that says, God makes God's self known to us in the calling of Israel to be God's people, in the word spoken to the prophets, and above all, in the word made flesh in Jesus. We know who God is because God tells us. God speaks about who God is. So every week, regardless of the appointed text, what we're preaching on or what we're singing about, every week is another opportunity to receive the story of how God reveals God's self to people, to people who otherwise would have no idea who God is. From Genesis to Revelation, the strange new world of the Bible, it keeps telling us about how God keeps encountering us. Again and again and again. Today, the story is of how God encounters Moses. Do you know of this Moses? Have you heard his story? Have you heard his story? The Hebrew people are being persecuted in Egypt. The firstborns are being slain. A Hebrew couple are afraid. They place their infant son in a wicker basket. They send him down the river Nile. 
He's discovered by an Egyptian family who raise him as their own, and he grows up, learns of his true heritage, and he becomes a hero to all the people. Have you heard his story? There's a similar one you might have heard before about a different person. His name is Kal-El. Do you know of Kal-El? Born on the planet Krypton. Krypton is falling apart. There's no hope for the planet. Two parents take their infant son. They place him not in a wicker basket, but in a rocket ship. And they send him to a planet called Earth. There, he's discovered by a set of parents named the Kents, who raise him as their own. As he comes of age, he learns his true heritage. He becomes a hero to the people. You might know him by his other name, Superman. Have you ever noticed the similarities between those stories before? Do you know why they're so similar? Because Superman was created by two Jewish teenagers who went to synagogue every week and heard stories about Moses. We are the stories that we tell. The stories that we tell in particular, the stories from the Bible, they shape us into who we are and they tell us about whose we are. Moses is in the wilderness. He's tending his father-in-law's flock. His father-in-law is the priest of Midian. Notice, Moses isn't out in the wilderness looking for God. God, where are you? He is just doing his day-to-day -day business. He's a shepherd. It's like going to school if you're a teacher, driving the school bus if you're a school bus driver, packaging up groceries if you work at Kroger. He is just doing his job. He is sitting in the cubicle called shepherding when he notices something strange, a bush that's on fire. And Moses wonderfully has this moment of reflection. Larry was just reading it. Moses says, I must turn and look at this strange sight. And only when God sees Moses turning does God speak. And that's important. Because it's not a thunderclap from the sky. It's not Morgan Freeman's voice yelling at Moses or George Dickinson's voice, if you know what George sounds like. It's not, Moses, Moses, oh, I've got it. It's a little tiny bush that's just on fire. I mean, it's kind of an ordinary thing. It's a bit strange, but not something that you would necessarily stop for. Moses could have kept walking. He had a job to do, but he sees something odd and he turns to look at it. He sees the burning bush. What does the burning bush see in Moses? What does the burning bush see? Perhaps the bush sees nothing more than someone who's got a healthy amount of curiosity, someone who has some imagination, who's willing to look beyond the normal routine, someone who is willing to be distracted by what God is doing. Notably, this isn't the first time that Moses set aside his normal routine for something else. Because there's more to the story. To know why God calls Moses out in the wilderness, you have to know why Moses is in the wilderness to begin with. Because having been raised in Pharaoh's court, a Hebrew, an enemy of the people, a slave in Pharaoh's court, he comes of age and he begins to see how the Egyptians are persecuting his fellow brothers and sisters. He sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating a slave, and Moses, filled with fury and rage, murders the Egyptian in cold blood. Not only that, he tries to hide the body, and he gets caught. He looked on the burdens of his people, that's what Scripture says, and he murders the Egyptian, and he has to flee for his life because they're going to take his life for the life that he took. He saw the burdens of his people. The language is important. It's the same words that the bush will say to Moses. I have looked and seen the burdens of my people. 
Moses is a murderer. He has to flee because of what he's done. That's why he's in the wilderness, and that's where the bush finds him. But before the bush even tells Moses what he wants Moses to do, Scripture says that Moses wonders about this sight. I think it's important to wonder about the, the workings of God. We have another word for that. We call it theology. When we wonder about God, that's all theology is. When we ponder, when we think, when we ask questions. I think it's important to wonder about God. I think that's why all of us come to church on Sunday. Not because we want to hear preaching. We want to daydream about God. We want to think about what God is up to and what God might be up to with us. But we don't keep God locked up here in some sort of box to parade the divine out for an hour or two on Sunday mornings. There is no space that is free from God. I think that's why it's important that the Lord says to Moses, take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground. He didn't realize that all ground is holy because God is there. God is everywhere. God's with us at our offices, in our classrooms, out on the greenway. God is with us when we're washing dishes or folding the laundry or tucking in the kids to sleep at night. God's with us when we're scrolling through Netflix and we can't find something to watch. When we're stuck in line at Kroger because someone is buying all their groceries for six weeks in front of us. God is with us all the time. God is trying to get us to look just a little bit to the side and notice something different. God delights in divine interruption. Like the burning bush, God shows up obliquely on the periphery just waiting for us to notice. And when Moses notices, when he begins to wonder, the bush says, Hey Moses, take off your chacos. I've got a job for you. I have looked and seen the burdens of my people in Egypt. You are going to be the one who delivers them from slavery to the promised land. And you know what Moses says? He says, sounds great, Lord, I can't wait. Sounds like a wonderful opportunity for leadership development. Let's get these people to freedom. No. Moses says, hey, burning bush, I think you've got the wrong guy. But the burning bush does not relent. No, 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 Moses. You've got all the qualities of being a divine deliverer. You know why? Because you've got me. You don't need anything else. I'm with you. And once you get the people delivered, we're all going to come back here and we're going to worship on this mountain together. Moses sees this sight. He wonders about what he sees and he opens himself up to the possibility of God. Not the possibility of God's existence, but that God has possibilities for what Moses could do that he couldn't do on his own. And of course he's reluctant. Anyone who is called by God knows that feeling of reluctance. Oh, surely, Lord, you, you must have meant the other Taylor Mertens, not this one. No, 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 you got, you got the wrong person. No, wait, wait for Bob to come by shepherding. He, I think you started a little too early this morning, burning bush. No, God, God knows what God is doing. God knows. And Moses He's apprehensive, but at some point he, he acquiesces to the will of God. He says, all right, burning bush, I can do what you asked me to do, but I have another question because who in the world are you? I mean, you say you're the God of my people, that's fine, but what's your name? One of Moses' ancestors asked the exact same question. His name was Jacob. He was wrestling with the Lord by the banks of the Jabbok River, and he says, tell me your name, and that time the Lord doesn't have an answer. Instead, he changes the name of Jacob. He says, now you're going to be known as Israel. But this time, the Lord has an answer. 
He says, I am who I am. Moses, you tell the people, I am who I am is sending you. God, speaking from the burning bush, declines to be neatly compartmentalized for easy consumption by Moses or anybody else. Anytime we try to put a label on who God is, we're going to walk away confused and confounded. I am who I am is this great non-answer to our ceaseless questionings. It should make us pause whenever we're totally sure that we know exactly what God is doing and with whom. God is always up to more than we know. The Lord who speaks from the burning bush mocks all of our certainties about what we think we know. I can't do it, Lord. I'm not good enough. I I don't have the right pedigree. I haven't studied enough. You've got the wrong person, Lord. No. God says, I know exactly what I'm doing. Because you have everything you already need. Because you have me. God is always up to something. Always in the business of getting people from where they are to where they can be. And God uses people like Moses. And people like you. And me. But why? Why does God use people like us? I mean, Moses is not the best candidate for divine deliverance. He is a murderer. Hanging out in the middle of nowhere, shepherding a flock. He is not particularly holy or even really faithful. The only thing that Moses has to show for himself is that he turns to look at the bush. His holiness comes from the bush that burns but is not consumed. Moses turns, he wonders, and he opens himself up to the will of God. You know what another word for that is? It's hope. He hopes for something he does not yet see. He hopes for God to intervene. Moses merely leans on the hope of God, the challenge that's offered by this unpredictable and incomprehensible I am who I am. Moses steps into the mystery of what comes next. It's out in the wilderness, in the normalcy of his day-to-day existence, that Moses kicks off his shoes and he stands on holy ground. Moses puts his feet next to this burning bush and he steps into the kingdom of God. God calls all like God called Moses. God has plans and purposes and hopes and dreams for all of you. Some of them are big. Some of them are small. But vital they are. And you don't have to be card-carrying saints. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be right. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to have it all together. The only thing you might have to have is a little bit of imagination. A delight in wonder and the capacity to be surprised by what God is up to and what God might be up to with you. So take off your shoes, open your eyes, open your ears. The burning bush is calling for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.